Welcome to Jewish Faith and Jewish Facts. I'm Rabbi Stephen Garten speaking to you from Ottawa, Canada. Each and every week, we unpack the Parashat Hashavuah, the weekly Torah portion that is offered in synagogues throughout the world. We are now reading from the book of Bereshit, the book of Genesis, and we are reading from the Parashat known as Lech Lecha, which begins in Genesis 12 and continues through uh, Genesis 17. It is one of the longest weekly parashiot in the Torah. The words lech lecha are usually translated as go forth. And this is our transitional Torah portion from the primordial stories of Genesis which speak about the creation of the world and the flood with Noah and all that exists prior to this morning's Torah portion, which introduces us to a covenantal relationship between Adonai, the God of the Israelites, and the first of the patriarchs known in our Torah portion as Abram. Before I introduce my guest, let me give you an overview of this rather lengthy Torah portion, though we will not be able to address all of the substantive stories or issues that it offers us. This Torah portion begins with the divine speaking to Avraham and saying to him, Lech lecha, go from your land, from your birthplace, and from your father's house to the land which I will show you. There, the divine says, you will be made into a great nation. Avram and his wife Sarai, accompanied by his nephew Lot, journey to the land of Canaan, where Avram builds an altar and, according to the Torah, continues to spread the message of one deity. A famine forces Avram to depart for Egypt where beautiful Sarai, the Torah tells us she's beautiful, is taken to Pharaoh's palace. Avram escapes death because they present themselves as brother and sister. A plague prevents the Egyptian king from uh, enjoying relations with her and convinces him to return her to Avram and to compensate the brother, now revealed as husband, with gold, silver, and cattle. This is, of course, the first time that the motif of going down to Egypt appears in the book of Genesis. Back in the land of Canaan, Lot separates from Avram and settles in the evil city of Sodom, where he falls captive when the mighty armies of uh, his enemies conquer the five cities of Sodom Valley. Avram sets out with a small band to rescue his nephew defeat the four kings, and is blessed by Malkai Tzedek, the king of Salam, which is the earliest mention of what will be known as Jerusalem. God seals the covenant with Avraham with what is called the covenant between the parts, in which exile and persecution of the people of Israel is foretold, and the Holy Land. The land of Israel is bequeathed to them as their eternal heritage. Still childless after their arrival in the land, 
Sarai tells Avram to marry her maidservant Hagar. Hagar conceives, and the Torah portion suggests that there is tension then between Hagar and uh, Sarai, and uh, Hagar flees the encampment when Sarai treats she and her son harshly. An angel convinces her to return and tells her that her son Ishmael will father a populous nation. Thirteen years later, God changes Avram's name to Avraham, adding the Hebrew letter Hey, uh, both to his name and changes Sarai's to Sarah, and promises that a son will be born to them. And from this child, who they will call Isaac, will stem the great nation which God will establish his special bond. Avraham is commanded to circumcise himself, known as Brit Milah, and his descendants as a sign of the covenant, I quote from the Torah, between me and you. Avraham immediately complies, circumcising himself and all the males of the household. Some of these stories may be familiar to you, the listeners. Some may not be part of your previous knowledge of the Torah uh, or the book of Genesis, but all of them are an important part of our heritage as the people of the book. With me this morning to help us understand the parasha is Rabbi Jack Luxemburg, Rabbi Emeritus of Temple Beth Ami in Maryland. Beginning in July of 1981, he became the congregation's first full-time rabbi, and he has been part of Temple Beth Ami's community for more than half of its history, serving there for 35 years as the rabbi. Rabbi Luxembourg was and still is active in the Washington area community and in Maryland, having served as the executive committee of the Jewish Community Council, the Jewish Social Service Agency, the Mid-Atlantic region of the Central Conference of American Rabbis, and one could go on indicating all of his commitments to community work, as well as he is an ardent supporter of uh, Israel, is a founding member of Arts of the Association of Reform Zionists in America, and he is listed in Who's Who in the East and Who's Who in Religion. He is the only rabbi in that part of Maryland to have completed a study grant from the March of Dimes to train at Georgetown University in the field of human genetics and counseling of human genetic problems. One could go on uh, and offer uh, great insight into his training and to his experience. But for those of us who listen to him on Jewish faith and Jewish facts, we know that Rabbi Luxembourg is a consummate teacher of Torah. And for all the time that he was senior rabbi of Bethany, his Torah study, his Saturday morning group of study, of the weekly parasha and other sections of the Torah was a highlight both for him and his congregation. Rabbi Luxembourg, welcome back to Jewish Faith and Jewish Facts. Well, Steve, I don't know what there's left to talk about now. <laughs> thank you very, thank you very much. It's a very kind and generous introduction. Um, 
I, I hope um, it didn't make your listeners antsy because I'm sure they're as interested to get into the text as we are. Um, well, probably, but it's always nice for our listeners to know uh, what the background is of our guest. And um, you have a resume that's worthy of a couple of minutes of conversation. Well, but now, you. as you suggested, let's get to our text. Our okay. text begins with the Hebrew Lech Lecha, which appears to be a commandment to make a journey. So what is this journey that the Torah wants to speak of? Well, I, I'm, I'm glad you opened with that observation. Uh, Steve, because um, for those who are looking at the text, it seems that this journey is um, is backwards. The text says, uh, as you pointed out, meaning go leave leave your your land, your country, leave the place of your birth, the neighborhood, your, your immediate environments. And depart from your father's house. Now, when most of us, when, when I leave Rockville to come to you to visit Nottawa, first I leave my house, then I leave the Rockville environment, and ultimately I leave my country to come into Canada. So, does the question is asked by our sages? Says, uh, why is this trip backwards? Uh, and I think they have a, a, a clever and thoughtful uh, response to the question in that they want us to notice that it's backwards so that we recognize that the journey, the ECAR, the, the essential journey here, is, is not a physical journey, but rather it is a, a journey of the, uh, uh, of the spirit. It's a journey of the mind and the soul. The Abraham is embarked on, on not just a Re relocating from Urkaz demon to the land of Israel, he is he is essentially uh, discovering new spiritual territory. Remember, God says, you know, El Areka to the land that I will show you, the land that will become revealed to you, not only as uh, geography. Uh, 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 and, uh, of hills and mountains and desert and whatever, but an interior geography, uh, a landscape of the soul in which Abraham is going to discover what it means to be uh, uh, covenanted with the divine and to recognize that the divine is ever-present uh, and, and is active in history, in, in, the, in the fate of his family and ultimately in the fate of his people and all peoples of the world. So the ancient sages want to help us make uh, a significant transition from what uh, took place in the first 11 chapters of Genesis, which is not a very uh, spiritually oriented text uh, other than through the commentators, but the literal text is very concrete. The story of Adam and Eve, the story of Cain and Abel, the story of the uh, flood, the story of uh, the Tower of Babel. Um, these are uh, wonderful uh, epochs 
but tell us very little about the relationship between the individual and the deity. But chapter 12 begins a very different journey. It's really a journey of how human beings will differ in their relationship to the divine from that which existed before, from an idolatrous or a relationship of idolatry, a human to a thing, mm-hmm. to a human to a divine entity, which the Torah will call Adonai or Elohim. Um, and is this a journey that um, Abraham is happy to make, or is it a journey that he seems to make under duress? You know, I, I think that's a really a, a really good question. We have instances in Torah where people are called. Not on the phone, but but not on the phone, but maybe on the um on the equivalent of uh of a phone, <laughs> uh at least a spiritual phone. Um they hear they hear the voice. Um I'm thinking of I'm thinking of Moses. I'm thinking of uh, many of the prophets who are touched by Nuvua, by the call to prophecy, and they are resistant. We don't get any sense of that from Abraham. Uh, uh, he really is a, he's a hineni. He, he, he responds, here I am. Uh, what do you ask of me? So there is, I think, a good conversation to be had as a regarding how much of the spiritual this journey to spiritual awareness awareness of the divine in the world has abraham already taken how far has he come in order to be re- ready and receptive to what you called a command uh, uh, an ins- an, uh, god is insistent lech lecha that's, a, that's an imperative. This is not a negotiation. Right. It's, it's not like, an, it's not an invitation. It, 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 is, it, it is, it's an imperative which suggests that Abraham um, is, is ready to embark and ready to fulfill this destiny that God has, that the divine has envisioned. So that suggests that, um, you know, Midrashim entails about Abraham's spiritual growth as a child, which do not appear in the Torah, but are part of our larger uh, rabbinic tradition. Something has taken, something transpired already. Something happened within already to make him open and receptive. There's a Hasidic teaching that wants to read Lech Lecha as a, an inward journey. The lech, lech, the Hebrew lecha means can mean to you, right? Lech lecha, go to yourself, go inwards, find your authentic and true self, um, become so aware of your place in the world, and and to perceive the world in its fullness. And that fullness is not uh, as religionists we we would say that that fullness is not. Uh, achievable without a sense of God's presence, uh, an awareness of God's presence in the world. Internally. Internally, but then you, you, you hopefully as a true religionist, 
you you act it out in the world according to the best values and virtues of, of, of your faith. One of the interesting dynamics about this very first line is uh, last week when we spoke about Noah, the Torah portion tells us that Ish Sadiq Badoroto, that he was a righteous person in his generation, um, which, as you well know, can be uh, uh, understood as either meaning that he was a righteous person or the best of the bad lot. Um, and with Abraham, we're not given any introduction into his character. We have a little genealogical introduction mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. about where his parents live so that when it says, leave your country, leave your uh, birthplace, leave your father's house, the previous uh, chapter gave us some indication of that. But as you indicated, this story seems to suggest that there's a backstory that we don't know about. Right. And, and, that, and, and that backstory has been more than amply provided by our sages, who in the literature we call midrash, which means ex to explain or to expand upon, uh, they love to compose uh, stories uh, that fill in these narrative blanks, uh, while at the same time teaching important spiritual uh, lessons and, and values. Uh, we we both know very well, uh, jazzing off uh, what you said about Noah. Uh, I think I think of two midrashim off the hand. They said Noah being a righteous in his generation. They compared Noah to a bottle of perfume placed in a graveyard. The graveyard, with all its terrible back in those days, is all those terrible odors, and not the graveyards that we know today. That that it, it stood out. You'd find the perfume. You it, it, you would be drawn to it because everything else around it was so odoriferous. You'd be drawn to the, the aroma. So he stood out against the terrible background. And as they say about it, but Abraham, Abraham was a bottle of perfume amongst other bottles of perfume. What a nice little uh, um, story, uh, you know, a, a, a little saying, because in Hebrew, it would have been written in about 10 words. Right. But, but sorry. <laughs> but, the, but the point being is that we're already being told with this type of midrash that in, in Abraham's world, which was not as awful and, 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 desert, and, and not as deserving of destruction as the world that was described in the previous Parsha, Noah, that grew out of the, the tales uh, and, and, the, and the narratives of those early chapters of Genesis, um, that Abraham stood out uh, uh, amongst other righteous persons who were who were present in the world, like Malchit Sedek, who you right. referenced in your introduction. I, I do want to make a change in our conversation because um, the motif of journey that we began with is uh, morphs into Abraham, Avram and Sarai's journey to Egypt. It's a motif that occurs many times in the Torah, ending, of course, with the journey of Jacob and his children. But, um, and of course, it appears in other traditions, the journey to Egypt or the journey out of the land of Canaan. 
Um, perhaps you can help our listeners understand why this journey, uh, which Abraham is going to make, which Isaac is going to make, which Jacob is going to make, um, is so important to the uh, Torah text. What does it represent? I, I think two very important concepts that were radical in the day. One is um, that um, one is the portable, what we call the portable God. In other words, unlike other peoples in the ancient world who felt that their deities were linked to the land, God goes with Abraham wherever Abraham travels. Wherever Abraham goes, God is. And, and this is a, a, a very important. So what does happen? As you pointed out, in the various generations of, of, of his family, and of course in different generations of our people, uh, we find ourselves in Egypt. We find ourselves in difficult circumstances. And whether it's Abraham and Sarah, or whether it's going to be uh, uh, Joseph later, or whoever, uh, or our people, and the story of the Exodus, we find ourselves in Egypt, Mitzrayim, and literally a narrow place. In common parlance, we find ourselves in a rock in a hard place, and we are delivered, which is a, uh, I think, uh, an, uh, uh, an enactment of God's covenantal promise to the Jewish people, uh, and and uh, and proof positive of of the ongoing relationship uh, between God and Abraham's descendants, and ultimately the entire Jewish people. And I think then it, this is generalized for all of us who are people of faith that God God is omnipresent. God is present in, in, in every place and in every time, uh, wherever we are and wherever we allow God to enter our where, wherever and whenever we allow God to enter our lives. For uh, some of our listeners whose faith pursues in the Christian tradition, they will remember that in the Gospel of Matthew, we have a story of Jesus going down to Egypt. Uh, and while it's not written in the same manner, uh, we're told that uh, when the Magi came in search of Jesus, they went to Herod the Great to ask where to find the newborn king of the Jews. Herod became paranoid, according, according to the gospel, uh, and he initiated a massacre. But uh, And Jesus and his mother, Mary, go into Egypt. Uh, so there, too, uh, the gospel of Matthew sees Egypt as a place of salvation, of a formative locus for faith. Now, of course, in the book of Matthew, um, it serves a somewhat different purpose, but the motif appears again. Uh, and so one should recognize that it's not a coincidence that Egypt becomes a cauldron of faith. Well, listen, I, I think, you know, the gospel narrative, which had, uh, at least in its Early, early on, an, an audience amongst the Jewish people. Jesus, Jesus, uh, Jesus is carried off into um, uh, into Egypt because 
prior generations of, of, of God's people have been rescued in that place. Absolutely. And now, uh, so will uh, the baby Jesus be rescued and saved, uh, as were earlier generations of the Jewish people. Again, uh, as the gospel, is, uh, as I understand, is wont to do, is, is to establish uh, the credibility of Jesus as part of uh, the, early the earlier biblical narrative from the Hebrew Bible. Right, the continuity uh, between uh, our conversation of Abraham and the descendants of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, of which the Gospels want to help us um, in their own context understand Jesus as a descendant. Mm -hmm. uh, and um, the early Gospels especially were comfortable seeing Jesus in that dynamic role as a uh, successor to those who had come before him. Um, our time is now uh, brief, but perhaps you can, in the few minutes left to us, help us understand um, Sarah as a figure in this story. Uh, she seems to be very important, uh, and she is there from the very beginning. Um, unlike Isaac and Jacob, who have to find a spouse, uh, we're introduced to Abraham already espoused. Yeah, indeed, and and of course, the the the, the Torah does not give us uh, the love story. Does not give us the the novelist the novelistic version of how they came to be with each other. Um, that we leave again for the midrash. Uh, but we are told that over and over again that Sarah is is of exceptional beauty, uh, and of course uh, the tradition wants us to understand that that is a, a reference to her, not only her appearance but also the, the character of her soul, and that she is very much a partner with Abraham, because it talks about the two of them when they leave or Kazim that they leave together with the souls. Uh, the the souls that they had created and and we know that that um sarah is still childless at that juncture so what did the rabbi say is because abraham and sarah together um were such uh gave off such a a, a warm spiritual glow and had a message that they shared with other people that by the time they were to embark on the journey that begins in this torah portion they were already surrounded by a community of, of persons who were uh, to them like family. So that's why the Torah says, Asun Shamor. It's, it's as if they had given birth to them. It is, a, a, in just a few verses, we make this wonderful transition from uh, a prehistory to the beginnings of the Jewish people. Uh, I definitely want to thank my guest, Rabbi Jack Luxemburg, Rabbi Emeritus of uh, Temple Bethany in Rockville, Maryland, for sharing with us his wisdom. You can hear our conversation on CHRI 99.1 or a podcast on chri.ca or on iTunes, wherever you download your podcast. For Jewish Faith and Jewish Facts, I'm Rabbi Stephen Garten, again thanking my guest and wishing all of the listeners shalom and have a good day. <music>